The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through 2-2. And if you have a pew Bible, it's on page 1021. And please stand for uh, God's reading. Chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's God's word. You can be seated. I want to commend to you this morning, um, Pastor John. So John filled the pulpit for me a couple of weeks ago, and um, he's going to do so this morning. Um, when I think of John, I think of him as, yes, a, a peer, um, as we are pastors. Um, I think of him as a friend. Um, but I, I want you to think of him as a man of God who's been putting his nose into Scripture. And I really think he's got um, a good word for us from the Scriptures. When I think of John, what, what I'm reminded of is this. There's a pastor several years, a long time ago named Charles Spurgeon. And he was writing about another pastor named um, John Bunyan. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And Spurgeon said this of Bunyan because Bunyan was so steeped, so marinated in the Scriptures Spurgeon said of Bunyan, when you cut him, he bleeds Bibline. And so what he says is the man's so full of Scripture that if you were to cut him, Bible would come out of him. Um, and this is in no way to lift up John, but John is a man of the Bible. I, I think you would not be too far to say if you cut John, Bible would come out of him. And so I just want to put him before you um, and just as a man who's going to point us to Jesus from the Scriptures this morning as he seeks to teach us from John 1, 8 through 2, 2. Hey, guys. Uh, I prefer us not to test that out, by the way, like, just in case anyone's got a knife and we go for it. Um, so it's really good to see you guys. As John said, my name is John. Uh, so I'm filling in today. So if you don't like me, come back next week. You'll have the, the main game, the starter, back up here pitching to you. Uh, so basically, what, before we kind of get going, one of the things I wanted you to know, and for those of you who attend Delta all the time, you, you know this, but if you're new or just checking us out, we're just so glad you're here because one of the ways that we approach the Bible is we go through books of the Bible generally because what we want is we want to know what God says. Not what we say, not what we think, but we want to know what He says because we believe what He says matters. We believe what He says is important. So what we call that is exegesis. Basically, we explain it. So all that's really saying is, is that I get no credit, but I also don't want the blame, okay? I'm just trying to tell you what God says, okay? So yes, that's right. So basically, I'm the mailman, okay? I, I'm here to deliver the mail, as Vody Bauckham says. I'm here to bring it to you. If you don't like the bill, not my fault. I'm just delivering the mail. If you like the bill, if you like what, what you got, then great. But the reality is that some of the things that God's going to say today are hard. 
Some of the things God is going to say today will push against us. And some of you are spring-loaded to only hear part of the context. There's going to be certain words that may come out at you, and they're just going to make you be distracted from the rest. And what I'm asking for you is to fight against that. Be aware of that. When distraction comes, when you want to cling to one word or one thought, don't miss the overall picture. Because this is heavy, but it's heavy with hope. It's heavy with hope. And you, you need to know that going in. If we miss the context, we miss almost everything. Okay? Okay. Um, the context of this scripture is First John is written to believers or a church, people who would call themselves lovers of Jesus. That's the context. And he's writing to them about this problem, about this problem. See, the, the problem he's writing to you is about, can you guess it? Great. One person actually read the scripture along. Great. Yeah, sin. You know, I hope you had a great morning. I'm about to put a damper on your day because we're going to talk about sin a lot. Yeah, he's writing about sin. See, everybody would say there's something broken. Everyone in this room would say there's something broken in this world. Some people would say it's Cubs fans. Some people would say it's Cardinals fans. Some people would say it's Bears fans. Some people would say it's Green Bay fans. Some people would say it's Republicans. Some would say Democrats, right? Some people would say it's Notre Dame or the Yankees. Fair point. That could be part of the problem. Nobody else? Okay, fine. Okay, so the reality is that we always have something that's the problem. Some people would say it's a lack of education. Some people would say it's religion. That's the problem. But here's what the Bible says the problem is. The Bible says the problem with you, the problem with me, the problem with the world is sin. It's just that simple. Sin defined is basically de-glorying God. It's missing the mark. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's basically where we exalt anything else over Jesus, and in that moment we've sinned, whether it's a good thing or an indifferent thing or even a purely what we would call in our day an evil thing, it's sin. And we need to know that. We need to know that going in because that's what he's going to be hammering home. Because in this context there was false teachers. Say false. false. Teachers. You guys are great. Okay, yeah, false teachers. Guess what they were teaching? Things that were False. Yeah, all right. I'm a, I'm a participation preacher, okay? That means that I'm going to ask you to do things. Not jump up and down, not jumping jacks. My wife is pregnant. She would not love that. But, but, I, but I want you to be engaged with me. Yeah, false teachers. And here's what they were teaching that was false. See, everybody has to deal with this reality of what do you do with the reality of sin in your life? What do you do with it? They had people in that church um, that some of them had went out from them because they were false teachers. They taught what was called Gnosticism. I'm not even sure that's how you say it. But that's what it looks like when you read it, okay? Basically, what they were teaching is that you get salvation through knowledge. And they had a delineation between the spirit and, and all matter. And they said spirit is inherently good, matter, everything outside of us is wicked. So either it doesn't really count and it's not connected to us because spirit is good, or you can just do whatever you want. That was the false teaching. And John is going to speak into that. Okay, so here's the flow of the text for you note takers. Here's where we're going to go. I'm going to tell you where we're going so you can try to stick along, I hope. All right, main point. We all sin, but Jesus is the eternal advocate for those who love him. There's three options. So then he's going to say, so what do we do with the reality of sin? He's first going to say there's three options on how we handle the reality of sin. We can deny it, we can redefine it, or we can confess it. He's going to transition from there. He's going to say, John's going to say, the goal of Christian living is not confession of sin, but glorifying God by resisting sin. And the third point he's going to make is, assurance is not found in our confession or our lack of sin, 
But if we love Jesus, it's found in his advocacy and sufficient sacrifice. Okay? Let me pray. Father, I just thank you, and I just ask right now that you would just come. I ask right now that you would pour out your spirit upon us. I pray right now that you would just send your angels, your armies, if need be, to surround this little place on Outer Park, and that you would just speak. I pray right now that, God, you would use me in whatever way you want. I confess, God, that we need you. We need you, and you want to be needed. God, I seek to bind the enemy's voice by the power and the authority of God, not because I have a greater voice, but because, God, you have a voice that wants to be heard. God, press on our hearts. The question is not whether we like what you say. The question is, is it true, and what are we going to do with it? God, please pour yourself out. Please show up. Please come. In the midst of our fears, Holy Spirit, come. In your name, amen. All right. Open your Bibles. We're going to be First John. Okay. We're going to read verses 8 and 10. If we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, so the first two options. What do you do with the reality of sin? What do you do with the reality of sin? Okay, first two options. One is you deny it. The other option is you redefine it. Verse 8 is you deny it. Okay, read it again. We got to love the Bible. Okay, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, the idea in the Greek is this present reality of our nature. If we say that we're not sinful, if we say that, you know what the problem in the world is? It's everything else but me. That's the problem in the world. You know why I am the way I am? It's my mom. It's my dad. It's my uncle. It's my kids. Why do they keep doing things wrong? That's the reason that things are bad. It's my wife. It's my husband. Anything but me. All of those things are pushing against the reality of our sinfulness. See, in that day, it is said, hey, there's a separation between spirit and all matter. So in reality, like, sin is not a part of who I am. It's just the matter. It's the evil world that's around me. That's the issue. And what John's saying in that moment is he's saying, if that's you, you've deceived yourself. You've deceived yourself. We're the problem. The reason we react the way we do is because of us, not because of somebody else. That doesn't mean there's not influences on us. But what that does mean is that we're responsible for our reaction. Um, our four-year-old Reed, uh, he, he tries to brush his teeth on his own, and he's getting better at it. He really is. But there's a couple times where I've walked into the bathroom, and I'll be like, what is that? What is in the sink? What is it? It's toothpaste. And lots of it. I'm like, is he painting? What is he doing? I mean, he's just squeezing it out. See, but what happens is, is that whenever Reed puts pressure on that tube, what comes out? Toothpaste, right? Because it's what's inside. And the Bible says the same thing with when life presses us, what comes out is what's inside us. The problem is not out there, the problem is in here. And if we deny that reality, we're like American Idol the first eight years where you have people walking in and be like, I can sing. And they just sing. And you're like, bro, you can't sing. But like, I swear I can sing. Like, you cannot sing. Okay? So some of us in this room are American idols. We're fictitious. We deny the reality of our own sinfulness. We blame everyone else for our own brokenness. 
And that doesn't mean there's not some truth in there, but what it means is it exposes us. James 4 says these people who call themselves Christians, hey, you know what the problem is? You know why you're getting mad all the time? Why you have an anger issue? Guess what? It's because of you. It's because of you. Okay? So this is the reality that we deny our sin. And if we don't deal with that reality, what we're left with is we just try to medicate it. Everybody, okay, anybody heard of Flint, Michigan? Okay. Eight of you. You guys rock. Okay. Yeah, Flint, Michigan. What's happening there is water problems, right? So there they have this lead going into the water pipes, and it's going into the homes, and it's leading to just different effects on kids, adults, so on and so forth. It's really bad, okay? So what happens is denying our sin nature makes us try to fix the house versus the source. It's like going to Flint, Michigan and be like, listen, for $10,000, I can fix this problem for you. I'll replumb this puppy. And so you replumb it, and you're like, oh, we got it. Yeah. And then you got the same issue. It's just medicated. It's just masked over for a little bit while they turn the water off. You have to change the source. So the Bible says our source of our issue is sin. And if we deny that, we lie to ourselves. We've deceived ourselves. We've tricked ourselves. And the truth of God is not in us. Foundational to understanding the gospel and please don't miss this, foundational to understanding the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is sin. The Bible doesn't say that, that we sin. The Bible says that we are sinners, and that's why we sin. We're squeezed, and what comes out of us is sin. Jesus didn't die just to die for your porn issue or getting mad at your kids or to make you feel better. He died to change our natures so that he could pay the penalty for who we are not just for what we do. And if we miss that, we've deceived ourselves. Option number two, because option one was fun. Option number two, verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So option number two is you don't deny that you're sinful. You're like, I'm pretty jacked up. Everybody can raise their hand with that. You know, Kyle's back there being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm broken. I get that. But I'm not dying, denying that reality. But the other option is that you redefine it. You say, but what I'm doing is not sin. That I'm not the one who's doing it. That's not the issue. So basically, it would be this idea that they'd run into something that God revealed by his light to these people. And they'd say, yeah, God says not to have sex outside of marriage. God says that idolatry is a big deal. God says that being greedy and a hoarder is bad for our heart and not good for others. God says that we're not supposed to covet. But then you comes and push comes the shove and you go, does he really say that? that? That was first century. He didn't mean that. Yeah, God says, don't get drunk. But you know what? That was just then. It isn't now. Like he doesn't care if something else is controlling me outside of him. And we start to redefine sin. We start to say, this is okay. That's not a big deal. It's all right. And then what God says we do in that moment is we've created another God. Us. We're saying that moment that God, you're a liar. I'm the one who tells the truth. I'm more holy than you are. I'm the one who dictates. This isn't that big of a deal. So what, I cheated on my taxes a little bit. It's not really lying. The government sucks anyway. 
I should have said that on recording. Someday they're going to ask for all of our recordings on government sucking. Whatever. But, you know, but there's just the reality. Like, has anybody else been there? You start to re- you minimize it. You redefine it. You justify it. Years ago, there was a guy who I was talking to, and he, um, and, and I say this as an example because it's true, not because this is something worse or better. He was, he was, he was gay, okay? So the Bible would say that is sin, okay? But it, it doesn't elevate that sin over any other sins, okay? So he had all this brokenness and baggage of what he'd experienced with what people had done to him over that reality. And our first conversations was me apologizing and trying to help him understand the gospel, that we don't go to hell because we're heterosexual or homosexual. We go to hell because we are sinners. And we all need Jesus. But we had to get to a point to where eventually I had to ask him. And I just said, like, so who defines what God wants? God. Okay, right. Okay, how do we know what God wants? The Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Bible. Okay, so who defines what sin is? God. How do we know that? The Bible. Okay, so then my question came to him. So can you live in unrepentant sin and be a Christian? And he couldn't answer the question because he didn't know what to do with it. The Bible said you can't. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but you can't just walk hell-bound against what God says and still be a lover of him. That's what it say. We have to see that we redefine sin. And there's a great warning. There's a great warning in it. Okay? End of verse 8, it says, The truth is not in us. End of verse 10, he says, the word is not in us. According to the Bible, Ephesians 1, the word of truth is the gospel. So here's the warning for you. Here's the warning for me. That if my life is characterized by the reality of denying that I'm the problem and everybody else is, that I deny that I'm sinful in my core and that I need a Savior, if I deny that, if I then redefine God, you said this, but no, 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 it doesn't count for me. If that's what characterizes your life, you do not know Jesus. You've misunderstood the gospel. The gospel does not free us to act like we don't sin. The gospel frees us to be honest about our sins. The gospel doesn't free us so that we act like we're something we're not. The gospel frees us so we can own the reality of who we are and ask God to change us. He's saying that if that's what marks you, if that's what marked these people, they're not Christians. They've misunderstood the gospel. No sin, no Savior. Well, that was chipper. I'm sure you're feeling good. It's what we do. Our first two options is we deny it. Second option is we then redefine it or justify it. And the third option, I'd say, is the better option, is we confess it. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. All right, that's a fun word. Everybody loves that. You know, the only time we even think about it is when we're watching Dateline and we're on that like video thing where they're like, well, is he going to confess that he did it? Is he going to confess that he did it? Like confession is just something that we misunderstand, I think, much of the time as Christians. And I've processed it and talked with others. It's like, what does it even mean? What is he saying? Why does he say it? What doesn't it mean? Oh, my gosh, give me my list of rules. I need to know what I need to do. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What in the world? 
See, Martin Luther, before he became a Christian, he, uh, Martin Luther, uh, he's an interesting cat, okay? Like, he literally was, like, quite an interesting guy. Like, before he became a Christian, he, this idea of confession for him was like, if he thought anything, he was like, in the confessional, like, like, just there. So, like, the other monks thought he was lazy and trying to get out of his chores. Like, dude, seriously, what are you doing? You can't be always in the confessional. But for every time he thought of something that was evil or wicked, he's like, oh, my gosh, i got to confess it. Otherwise, I'm in deep boo-boo. It's not going to go well for me. That's why the gospel enlightened his soul so much whenever he heard it and understood it. So what is it saying? So, so generally I would do this differently, but I'm trying to help us understand it because I don't know that we even know it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to define it, give us an idea of what it is and what it isn't, how it plays out in our lives, and I'm going to say why it fits in this text. Okay, so everybody seems so excited about this. We're going to go. Okay, so here we go. What is biblical confession of sins according to the Bible? All right, definition. Biblical confession of sin in the Bible is an acknowledgement in an agreement with God of our sin, evidenced by repentance, turning from our sin, and seeking to submit to God's word. Biblical confession, uh, confession of sin in the Bible is an acknowledgement and agreement with God of our sin, evidenced by repentance, turning from that sin, and submission to God's word. The word confession means acknowledgement, declaring, agreeing. But when you look into the Bible, like the, the heart behind it is that we agree with God that we agree with God this is bad, we agree with God that this is hurtful, and we turn from it. It's not just purely saying something. Okay, so um, we have three boys. Shockingly enough, they do things wrong sometimes and sin. So do I. <sighs> Dan Bernthal's shocked right now. He's having a heart attack that John Kleinschmidt sends. I know he is. Okay, so the boys, though, um, the other day, me and Will are talking, and, and he's there, and they're doing things that make their brother's mad, which if anybody has any like great tricks on how to stop that, that would be amazing because that's at least 80% of our days sometimes is like, why are you doing that? You just did that. They get mad. Stop it. So Will's in his room. And I'm like, why did you have to read? I don't know. It was sin. Yeah, it was sin. You're right. It is. So why do you keep making him mad? Does it help you? No. Does it hurt you? Yes. Does it hurt our family? Yes. Is it against God? Yes. Okay. So should we not want to do it? Yes. Five minutes later, the same thing. Like this was our day that I'm like, what are we doing? And I told Will, I'm like, Will, you're acknowledging it, but you don't agree with me. It really isn't that big deal to you. Biblical confession is an acknowledgement of agreement with God. This is a huge deal. This is killer. We need to know that. Biblical confession is a heart attitude that acknowledges the reality of who God is and who we are. That's the definition. Why is confession of sin important if you love Jesus? It is to prove that we agree with God about our sin and shows that we have placed our hope in him to forgive and cleanse us, not our good works. It's to prove that we are placing our hope on Jesus. You forgive, you cleanse, you're the one I need. It's a hard attitude saying, I need you. It's important because it's saying, like, it's not so I can do something else. It's not so I can confess again. Like, I need you, not my works. That's why it's important. What does it look like for us to confess our sins? What does it look like for us to confess our sins? First, it looks like humility. We have to know that we sin sometimes. First, it has to start with humility. You have to realize the reality that we sin. Paul said that he didn't know of any sins in his life. Don't miss this. But 
I was like, I could be missing something. I don't know. Like, I'm jacked up too. So I don't know anything right now that I need to confess, but that doesn't mean I don't have a heart issue. So it comes with humility. You know you sin. Second is continual. If we confess our sins, in the Greek is as we confess them. So there'll never be a day where Jenna or John or Todd or Mason or John, where we aren't having to have this heart attitude of owning the reality that we're broken and we need Jesus. It's to be continual. And the third, how do we do it? Because some of you in here are, 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 as Brian Hubert recalls, we're spring-loaded legalists is what he said last night, which is really good. He stole it from a professor. Um, yeah, he did. He's shaking his head. He did. Okay. Um, wow, I almost fell. <laughs> that would have been great. Um, it's basically, so what do I do with it? Is it public or private? Does it involve others? Is it broad or is it specific? Because some of you right now are itching to know that. Because here's how the enemies want to use this. You walk out of here and you're like, I need to confess everything forever, otherwise I'm going to hell. And others of you are just like, just tell me the simplest thing to do so I don't have to think about this anymore. And both of those are wrong because both of those do not involve God. Okay, so what does it look like for us? Public, private, specific, broad? Both. The end. No, it really is. In the Bible, we see broad confession. In the Lord's Prayer, Father, forgive my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. It's broad. It's very private. God, me and you. God, help me. Sometimes it's specific. James 5, Acts 19, there are specific sins that are divulging, asking for prayer for, or just confessing in public with other people. So you're going to have both. How do you know which is which? I don't know. Ask God. But you're going to have both. If you have no confession, just the reality of your sinfulness to God and your hope in Jesus, and you have no confession that, hey, honey, I shouldn't have done that, or, or, or this week we had a confession party. That's really not true. I shouldn't have said party because it just sounded weird. But me and the two oldest boys sat around, and we confessed where we were sinning against each other. Me against them for how they were responding, right? I just blame them, right? All right. Me for how when life was squeezing me, that what was coming out of me was frustration and anger towards them and them towards their reality of their sinfulness and disobedience. Confession is both public and private. You have to deem which. You have to ask God which. But I can tell you this. If you're not acknowledging the reality of your brokenness to God and having a humble heart, something's probably off. If you're not confessing to somebody because you don't want to own it up and you want to blame it on them, something's probably off. Just tell you that right now. Okay. So, now that we have the wonderful thing of confession and we're all excited, what confession doesn't mean? What it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean we try to manipulate God. Okay? Everybody know what I mean by manipulate God? Where we're trying to do something to get him to be a genie. God is not an undo button for us. What this doesn't mean is that you need to call your friends a hundred times in a day and confess it. I mean, one, you'll get fired for doing that if that's what you do. Like, your boss won't be happy. Um, you know, if I called Josiah a hundred times, like, hey, just thought about this. What you think? <laughs> like, and that's this fear. Um, see, right now, Reed, uh, I love Reed. He's, a, he's so much me. When I was four, I'm positive my parents are here. They're probably like, yes, he is. And Reed will run up to you and be like, I almost kicked Knox in the face, but I chose not to. <laughs> Literally, Sarah can testify to this. Hey, Daddy, Knox had his hand on the ground. 
I was going to step on it, but I stopped. <laughs> Which then you're like, good Lord, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I encourage that or not encourage it? Son, you're, so now I just go, great, you're confessing temptation, but you don't have to confess it, but just keep fighting, buddy. I mean, I don't know. He's four, but this is what happens at our house. So then you get annoyed like, stop telling me the stuff you almost did. We don't actually say that, but that's what we think. Um, but but, but what, he's, what he's saying here is that's not it. It's not this, like, you have to now do a hundred times. Like, one, you couldn't do it. The gospel doesn't give us things to do to earn from God. The gospel gives us the reality to respond to what God's earned on our behalf. Okay? So the call to confess is not saying you have to remember and specifically confess every sin. Otherwise, you're jacked. This only applies, that we have to do that as if you're Brian Hubert. Everyone else, you don't have to do that. I don't know. Like, it's so natural, Brian. I love it. Okay, you, know, you, don't, you don't have to. Like, that's, that's not what he's saying. One, you can't do it. And confession is to be free, not bondage. It's to set us free, not make us be like, did I confess it? Did I miss it? That's not the heart behind this text. It's the attitude of the heart that expresses itself and is a response to what Jesus has done and not to get more from Jesus than what he's already done. The call to confess, this is the last one, but this is the one I don't want you to miss. The call to confess is not adding to the cross of Jesus Christ. The call to confess is not adding to the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we are forgiven based off of Jesus' work alone, that if we've repented of our sin and we've trusted in Jesus, we've received the forgiveness of the one-time sacrifice to pay the sin for all sins for those who would love him. You don't then get to add to that. You don't get to boast that I confessed. You should have said a phone reminder, Bernthal. Mm, you're in trouble now. You didn't give us that one. You forgot something. That's not what he's saying. Our freedom and our assurance is in Jesus. What confession does is it proves where our assurance lies in Jesus. It proves it. It doesn't seek to obtain more of it. It's the reality that he's our hope. So why is it here in this text? All right, read verse 8, and then we're going to do 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if we say we have no sin, we have not believed the gospel, and we've lied to ourselves. Okay? If we, say we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's just the opposite of the other. So you deny you're sinful, it proves that you don't really love Jesus. If you're acknowledging the reality as a lover of Jesus that you're broken, it's proven that you do. It proves something. It's supposed to prove that we are walking in the light. As he is in the light, verse 5, it's to prove that when God pushes something on us, we don't just push it away. We own it. We add the reality like, yes. It proves we have fellowship with God. We run to him and not from him. Does that make sense? That's what his intent is, is to prove. It's supposed to create assurance. Assurance that if you claim to be a Christian and you're honest about your brokenness and your heart is open to who God is and turning, then the gospel is paid for that too. He is faithful and just to forgive. Jesus paid the bill. You can stand on it. You can bank on it. You're proving the point. Confession proves that we're forgiven. Otherwise, we run from that truth, not confess it. So the goal of Christian... Or how, what's the, how do we respond to the reality of sin? We're to confess it if we love Jesus. Some of you in here don't love Jesus and you don't know what to do with it. I'm so glad you're here because we're talking about the problem and we're going to have a reality of how to fix it. Because the problem is not 
just something outside of us in psychology that somehow we can just medicate ourselves enough to solve the issue. The problem is sin. The problem is we need Jesus. And the reality, is, even as a Christian, is our reaction to sin is confession and rejoicing in Jesus. So now that we know that, we know the goal of Christian living is, you nailed it, Jenna, confession. I'm sorry, Jenna. I don't know. You guys are like in the preview. I should do Charles. No, the goal of Christian living is 2-1. Let's look at it. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we're going to focus on the first part of one. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. My little children. It's like him jumping off the platform and saying, okay, guys, I've been telling you all this stuff. Now do not miss this. Don't miss this. This is what I'm writing to you for. I'm writing so you won't sin. And then if I'm then, here's what I go. You just said in verse 8 and 10 that if I, don't, if I, if I act like I don't sin, I'm in big, big trouble. Now you just said the goal is that I not sin. What am I to do? Because you just said I will, and now you're saying I'm not supposed to. What? Help me. Here's the reality of what I think he's just saying, is that we as humans pervert the truth. Romans 6, written by Paul, says that as sin increased, grace increased all the more. So what did people start saying? So we should sin the more, all the more, right? Because grace will be greater. That's wonderful. And Paul goes, no, no, you're missing the point. Grace has not been given so that you can just walk in sin. It's been given so that you can deal with it, that you cannot submit to it. All he's saying is resist sin. Paul is not, or John is not saying here, I'm telling you about confession so that you'll just be like, hey, as long as I confess, I'm great. He's telling us so that we know it's coming. He's telling us so we can prepare for battle. Temptation's coming. We are to resist sin. The goal is that we as Christians are to glorify God by resisting our sin. The desire is not to confess it, although that's good. The desire is to not sin in the first place if we can keep from it. That's what he's saying. Hebrews says that those people had not resisted sin to the point of shedding their blood. Neither have I. I really think the enemy of our souls has deceived many of us. And the reason we walk in perpetual, consistent sin is because we fight the wrong spot. I'm begging that some of you would hear this. The reason some of you struggle repeatedly is because you're fighting at the wrong spot. You're trying to confess afterwards, and what God would say is, that's good and needed, but the desire is that the army would never break through the wall and murder the women and children, and then you call in reinforcements to get them out. All that did was create baggage. It doesn't mean that God isn't paid for it. What it means is that's the wrong spot and desire. His call here is to resist our sin. No temptation's coming for you. So much of the time we treat our sin very flippantly. Like some of you right now are treating sin very flippantly. You're just kind of okay with it. Jesus says that if your right eye causes you to sin, rip it out. I'm not saying go rip your eye out. Okay, context is king over that. All right, John always says that. Or cut your hand off if it causes you to sin. But his point is that sin is serious. We can't treat the gospel of God and the sacrifice of Jesus like 
It's your dad who paid for your first year of college, and it's already paid for, so I can do whatever I want. That's misunderstanding the gospel. So he knows their heart, and he says, resist. The goal isn't to confess. The goal is to glorify God by resisting. It's coming for you. It's coming for you. So how do we resist? So this is my application for you, and I'm just going to do this really fast. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, if you're struggling with consistent sin, write that verse down, okay? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it, endure it. So here's what you need to know if you want to fight. This is my three-minute explanation on this. If you want to talk more, let me know. You must know it's coming for you. It's coming for you, Mom. It's coming for you, Dad. It's coming for you. Two, you must know God is for you if you love Jesus. Three, you must know that sinning in that moment is not inevitable. Anybody ever been there where they feel like, I just got to sin here? I just, it's got to get out. If I can just get out this anger, I'll be okay. And he's saying, Love Jesus, it's not inevitable. Sin doesn't trump the cross. For you must know that there's a way of escape. But here's the thing, and Charles always says it, you must know that it involves endurance. The last part of that verse says that you may be able to endure it. Endurance. You can't give up. Some temptations don't just flee. You need to know that. For me, this week has been really hard. I've been stressed out. I felt like I don't know what I'm preaching on. I don't know how to think. So what I'm doing, and I know what, you know what happens when I get stressed? I start getting frustrated easily. I start not being present with the kids. I start not to appreciate Sarah like I should. So what is this week filled with? A lot of text, phone calls, emails to many of you in this room saying, would you pray for me before here? Because here's what my heart wants to do. Fight before it comes. Does that mean I was sinless and perfect this week? No. But it does mean I battled beforehand. And I believe God gave me much freedom because of it. You need to know that we have to fight our sin. How you fight is you pray first. Lead me not in temptation, Lord, the Lord's Prayer. You draw near to Jesus, who's been tempted in every way without sin, Hebrews 4. And you invite others in to fight with you. What did Jesus do before he went to the cross? He went to the Garden of, anybody know? Gethsemane. All right. Matthew 26. Everybody's assigned it. You got to. Yeah. Gethsemane. Okay. And who did he take with him? His, yeah. And he took some of them and said, come pray with me. I'm overwhelmed. I'm feeling temptation. Come and fight. Many of you struggle because you don't fight. You don't fight before it comes. You lie to yourself and say you're fighting sin while you just walk in it. And you see the same temptation coming the next day and you're just like, I'm just walking it. Some of you have certain issues. You just accept it. You gotta fight. You gotta fight, but you don't fight to earn from God. You fight because you trust that God's earned for you. And in that, you can fight. Resist sin. Quit having excuses. Some of you don't need smartphones. Some of you don't need computers. Some of you don't need the internet because it leads you into sin. Quit having an excuse. The goal of Christian living is not confession. It is glorify God by resisting sin. Glorify God by resisting sin. But what happens when we do sin? 
Good question, because that's the next part. 2B, 2-1-B through 2-2, and it will be done. But if anyone does sin, so second part of verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and also not only for ours, um, but, jeez, oh, really jacked that up. He's a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Assurance is not in our confession. Our assurance as lovers of Jesus is not in our lack of sin because we will sin. No matter how much we resist it, we will. Our assurance is in the advocate Jesus Christ and his propitiation. And everybody loves the word propitiation. Say it three times, it'll make you happy. Um, He says that Jesus is our helper if we love Jesus. That in in the rule of the world, God is there, and before the Father is Jesus, and he is our advocate, he is our helper. It's really the idea of a lawyer. He's standing before us, pleading our case before the Father on our sin. And how does he do that? How does he help? He's our propitiation. Which when I asked Sarah, read this text and tell me what things stick out to you, she's like, I always know that word, but what does it mean? Propitiation is just the reality that Jesus is our wrath-absorbing substitute. So here's what you need to get. Sin, this is why we take take it seriously, right? Sin requires justice because it's an injustice. You can justify it all you want, but against God, it's a deglorying of God. And in that, there's justice that's needed. Just like if a guy came before a judge and said, oh, Todd, so you murdered a lady and her three kids. Well, could have been mad going out the door. That's just. The Bible says that's not just. That's wicked. See, the idea is that God must serve justice for our sin, and his response to that is to send Jesus out of love to save those who would repent and believe. See, our sin requires wrath. I've used this example before. My son Will, him and I are really close, probably going to play chess this afternoon, which he's not beaten me yet, but please, if you're really good at chess, do not teach him stuff because he will start whipping me, and it's not fun when a six-year-old beats you at games. Okay? So we're probably going to play chess, and we're going to probably watch Midwest Whitetail. Why? Because who doesn't want to watch deer hunting on a Sunday afternoon? Sorry if that offended you. Okay? That's probably what we're going to do. Um, so here, here's the reality, though. God's wrath is birthed out of his goodness and his love, not out of his hate and his badness. So similarly, this example I've used before, the I, I, I love Will. I'm close to Will. And anything that would make me think about somebody molesting Will, hurting Will, torturing Will, that very idea elicits something in me that makes me want to crush it. I hate that idea. But it's not because I'm bad, but it's because that's the response of me as a good dad is that I should. That response in me is birthed out of goodness. The Bible says the same thing with God's wrath. His wrath is birthed out of his goodness. When sin comes, his response, because it's the exact opposite of him, is he must crush it. And he's light and we're darkness. And when those two things run in together, wrath is the result. So what's it mean that Jesus is our propitiation? It means that the good news of the gospel, and don't miss this because some people hate it, and you may too, 
But okay, here's the reality. The good news of the gospel is not just that God saved us to some place called heaven. It's not just that God saved us from a bad sex life or a super happy marriage. The good news of the gospel is that God saves us from God. God saves us from God, from his wrath do us. The Bible says that we are his enemy, fully deserving of wrath to crush us forever. And God, in response to us being his enemy, loves us and sends Jesus to die for us. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. God propitiates himself. He comes and he satisfies his own wrath. That's our assurance. He comes and he satisfies his own wrath. Here's the way that Romans 3 says it. Whom God put forward, this is Jesus, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, not by works. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that, we might be ju- so that he might be just, serve justice for what is due our sins, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus' cross is about God's justice and so that none of us can boast about anything else. He's the just and the justifier, not us. He propitiates himself because he loves us. Jesus comes because he loves us. Some of you are going to stand before God one day and be your own representative, and that's dangerous. Okay, so what's the, what's the English proverb? I'm trying to find it. A man who is his own lawyer has a fool for a client. I'm pleading with some of you, don't be a fool. Let Jesus represent you. Repent of your sin. Give it to Jesus. Let him take your wrath. Let the forgiveness wash over you so that he will be your advocate, that he will stand before the Father, and that when you sin, says, that's paid for in me. There's no more wrath being built up, Beth. It's paid for in me. There's no more wrath being built up, Kyle. It's paid for in me. And Jesus is there representing us before the Father. And it's sufficient. That's the whole part of the whole world. It's sufficient. There's no past, present, or future sin that is not sufficiently covered in Jesus for those who love him, those who repent of their sin, those who fight against sin. There's there's nothing that he has not paid for that isn't sufficient. So my grandkids, their hopes in the gospel. Our kids, the hopes in the gospel. Me, the hopes in the gospel. And that propitiation, that reality frees me so I don't have to hide from God. I can be drawn near to God. I don't have to hide from my sins. I can confess my sins. I don't have to deny my sins. I can bring them to God. I can actually fight sin because my hope is not in my abilities. My hope's in what Jesus has done. That's the hope. What assurance do we have that we are forgiven? Our assurance is that and Jesus' advocacy and sacrifice. No sin, no Savior. No sin, no advocate. No sin, no propitiation. You just sit here and you deny the reality of sin. There is grave things over you. If you flippantly agree, agree to it without actually agreeing to what God says to do with it, you are in trouble. So how do we respond to this? First, you have to figure out, what does my life prove? What does your life prove? Does it, does it mainly prove that you're acknowledging and have an attitude to the heart of just, God, I'm broken. I love you. You're my hope. You're my salvation. 
sin comes, I, I don't just hide it. I don't even know what the sins are, but I just have an attitude of the heart that says, I love you. I'm not trying to earn from you, but I love you. That's your attitude of the heart. Is your attitude of the heart of, it's everybody else's fault. My kid doesn't listen because of this. That's really the issue. Are you medicating it? Or are you denying it altogether? If you don't love Jesus or you don't know, or maybe you're like, hey, I'm really those first two categories, then this would be for you too. Here's the reality. Give yourself to Jesus. He wants your sins. He wants to cleanse them. He wants to heal them. Don't be your own advocate. Let him be your advocate. He loves you. Some of you sinned a lot this week. He loves you. Some of you have worshipped other things other than God this week. He loves you. Christian and non-alike have done that. He loves you. Um, if you're a lover of Jesus, I encourage you, ask God, where am I denying my sin? God, is there any place in my life where I need to acknowledge and repent of my sin? Ask him. The gospel frees you to not try to earn from him. It frees you to not try to blame others. Like, the reason I'm not in community is because of this person. Man, that's denying sin. I didn't own it. Ask God, where do you need to own your sin? And trust that the gospel frees you because that's the hope. Second thing, I implore you, if you love Jesus, resist sin. Ask God where you're tempted. Most of us know. Where do I need to resist sin? Where do I continually fall? Help me fight, God. Help me pray. Help me run. Help me be honest with others. I know my temptation, staying up late and getting stressed. I have to guard against that. I have to guard against it because I just get frustrated. I know it's shocking. I know, guys. It's true. That's a joke. That's a joke, guys. Like, if you don't know my personality, I apologize. It's might be kind of offensive. Um, but it's true. You need to know where you're tempted. You've got to be watchful. You need to ask God. Because some of you right now are thinking about everyone else who needs to hear this message, but not you. Some of you are piously religious and fake. And some of you are not. God loves you. And last thing, you need to celebrate Jesus. He's our sufficient sacrifice. He's our hope. He's the reason to confess. He's the reason to have insurance. He's the reason to fight sin. We can find pleasure in God, not in sin. We can find pleasure and happiness in confession because all it does is prove that we love Jesus. He's our hope. Let me pray. Father, I love you. I feel so insufficient, um, but God, you are so sufficient. The hope is not in my ability to communicate, but the hope is in the power of God to change. So Father, I pray you would descend your spirit and I pray right now that you would just break our hearts where, we're conf- where we are walking in sin. God, grant us eyes to see it. Let us acknowledge it. Some of that's going to be verbal. Some of that's going to be to other people. Some of that's just going to be like, man, I am broken, God. I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Some of us are just walking and, and acting like we're fighting when we're not. God, just cleanse us from that. Let us see the wisdom of your word and let us fight with others. God, don't, don't let the enemy take any seeds that you've sown for our holiness today. God, give us courage. Give us power. The gospel is the power of God to save. So I just pray that you would save people. You'd redeem people. We would not deny the reality of our sinfulness, but rather we would own that reality and we'd give it to Jesus and in that we would be changed. God, come, change us. Our hope's in you. No sin, no Savior. So God, you're a great Savior and we have great sin. You're a great advocate. Pour your spirit upon us. In your name, amen.